Thanks for joining us for another inspiring message from Alive Church, Orange County. To find out more information about Alive Church, please visit alivechurchoc.org. You can also follow us on your favorite social media platform by typing in Alive Church OC. I am free. Amen. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. So I will continue from what I preached last week. It's a continuation. And uh, because Pastor Derek is not really well enough to preach, so I decided to come on and then continue what I shared last week. How many of you were here last Sunday? All right, if you were here, and I will just quickly do a summary. I talk about Matthew 24. Matthew 24 say, in the last days, there will be wars and rumors of wars. There will be pestilence, famine, and earthquakes, right? Many people will be deceived. And God says that there will be a time of sorrow. But it sounds so bleak until at the end, the last verse says, but there will be some that will endure to the end. We call them the remnant. Everyone say, that's me. Amen. So God is interested in raising up a remnant. Then I said, what is the one thing that the remnant has? Everyone? One thing is a? (laughs) Very good. Uh, One thing is a pure heart. Matthew 5 says, blessed are those who are pure in heart, for they shall see. For they shall? They will be able to see God, whether in the mountaintop or the valley low. They will be able to see God. Then I ended, uh, then I said that a one who has a pure heart can believe for the best. Everyone say best. Yes. Let me test who remembers my sermon, all right? What does B stands for? Believe. A pure heart can believe. E stands for? Endure like a good soldier because your heart is set on God. Your heart is pure. You can endure the good, the, the bad times. What about the S? Yes, even though you walk through the valley, you can still strengthen others because you have God on the inside of you, right? And lastly, T, a pure heart can triumph. Very good, good students, all right? Then we ended by saying uh, um, in Jeremiah 50 that Jeremiah warned the people that we must come up to the mountaintop. If we stay at the hillside, you will be devoured, right? So we cannot stay on the hillside. We cannot have the world and God at the same time. We cannot love the world and love God at the same time. We cannot say we glorify Jesus, yet we also glorify ourselves. Am I right? We cannot have both. You have to choose. Is it God or is it not, right? So if not, you will be devoured. So the thing is this. The thing is this. When we sin... We become easy prey for adversaries, right? That's what uh, Jeremiah 50 says. So I want to illustrate what, how the sin defiles our heart. When I was young, I, we often read this story. And I'm going to tell you this story. You're going to help me tell the story. Is it okay? All right. I'm going to divide the hall into two. Um, okay. Pass it direct. Anything, anyone on Pastor Derek's left? Left. Pastor Derek's left side here. You are the little pigs. All right. I'm going to tell you the story of the three little pigs and the big bad wolf. Okay. So you are the pigs. All right. Sorry. And, And anyone from this side onwards, you are the big bad wolf. 
Okay? So later on, you're going to tell the story together with me. Are you ready? All right, so the big bad wolf have a low, low and strong voice, right? And the little pigs, you have a very high-pitched voice, okay? All right, let's do it, okay? <laughs> all right, there was a mother pig, and the, they have three little piglets, and they are all growing up. So he said it's time for them to go, to go out and build their own lives, right? So before he, she sent them out, she said, little pigs, little pigs, listen up. This is the most important uh, advice I'm going to give you. When you go out to the world, there are big bad wolves, and they're going to devour you. But you need to build strong homes for yourself, strong house, all right, so that you can protect yourself. So the little three little pigs went out into the world, and the one little pig, the first little pig, very lazy, saw some straws by the roadside and said, oh, easy, let me build a straw house. Anyway, I haven't seen any bad wolves around, so who cares? So let's build a straw house. The second wolf walked down further and saw some sticks. I say, oh yes, let's build a stick house because how big can a wolf be, right? And then the third one walked further and saw some bricks and then bri- built a brick house. Then comes a big bad wolf and he was very hungry. So he walked through the straw house and he smelled, hmm, hmm, smells like a pig in there. All right, and he was hungry. So this is what the little the wolf says, and he says, "Can I have the script, please? Come on." No, no. Who's there? All right, all right. So the big bad wolf says, "Oh, low, low, low. One more, one more time, right? Louder." Right? And so the little pig saw from the door that it was the big bad wolf. So the little pig says, (laughs) So the wolf. Right, so that's what he did. He blew the house down and he pounced on the little pig and he had a big breakfast of bacon. Oh, but you see, the big bad wolf was really big and he was still hungry. So he went down the street and saw the stick house. And so that's what he did. He knocked on the door. Right, one more time. And the little pig saw the wolf at the door and what did the little pig say? Well, then the wolf and the house was blown down and once again he gobbled up, he devoured the little pig. But unfortunately, the wolf is really big and he was still hungry. So he walked down the street and he saw the brick house. Then he smelled the pig on the inside and that's what he did. He knocked on the door and he said, Well, the little pig saw that it was the wolf at the door. And what did the little pig say? Well, and then the wolf? Well, that's what the the wolf did. He huffed and he puffed, he huffed and he puffed, and he couldn't blow the house down. So he decided to climb on the chimney, and the little pig saw that he was climbing up on the chimney, boiled a big pot of hot water, and when the wolf fell down from the chimney, he was boiled to death. 
what is the lesson here? In 1 Peter 5, verses 8 to 10, let's read this together. Ready? One, two, three. Be sober. All right, I need the, the PowerPoint to be on point today. All right, let's read this together. Ready? One, two, three. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, set fast in the faith, knowing that the same suffering are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. But may the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. God wants to strengthen you and settle you, but you must resist. Everyone say resist. You must resist the wolf. You must resist the sin. You must resist your adversary. And you must stay steadfast. So brothers and sisters in Christ, we must learn to build a strong resistance on the inside of us. We must build a strong defense against sin, against the works of the devourer. We must have a strong immunity system on the inside of us so that we are immune to the effects of sin in this world. Tell you another story from the Bible, and that is in Genesis. There were two brothers, Cain and Abel. Cain was jealous with Abel, and he killed him. He killed him because he was jealous, because God approved of Abel because of the way he honored God with his offering. So when Cain murdered, and this is the first murder in the history of the Bible, when, when Cain murdered Abel, God came and confronted Cain. Look at what the Lord says in Genesis 4, verses 6 to 7. It says, And the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why do you look sad and depressed and dejected? You see, even though Cain had killed his brother, the enemy in this case, the one that has caused him all that jealousy and pain, yet after he died, Cain had no relief. Look at this. If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin crouches at the door. Its desire is for you, and you must master it. This verse tells us, and personify sin like an animal, crouching at the door. But God's will is for us to master it. Everyone say, I must master sin. Sin must not master you. You need to master sin. So this is the title of my message, Knock Knock, Who's There? And if I do knock knock, can you tell me who's there? there? One more time. Louder. Who's there at the door? Who? The big bad wolf is at the door. Sin crouches at the door and its desire is for you. Sin is knocking at the door of your heart. He cannot come in because there's blood at the doorpost. You are covered by the blood of Jesus. Sin has no power over your life. Most of the problem of Christian faith is that our sins are not sold out for God. 
There's some part of us love God, but there's some part of us love ourselves. We want to be God over our lives. When we need God, we cry out to God. But when we don't need God, we become the God over our lives. We want God, yet we want the things of this world. We want a happy marriage, yet we want to do it our way. Guess what? Jeremiah 17 says in verses 9 to 10. Let's read this together. Ready? One, two, three. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind, even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruits of his doing. Listen up. God is always searching your heart. If you listen, God is always testing your mind. What are you thinking of that is against His Word? What are the things that you have entertained in your heart that defile you on the inside? And He will keep knocking at your door, keep speaking to you, hoping that you will respond so that you can come along with Him. But from what I see, most people are very uh, relaxed about it. They are not urgent to respond to God. And eventually God says, He will give you, He will let you go, He will let you do what you want so that you will then taste the fruits of your doing. Remember this, you are free to choose. Yes, God will not use up your will. You are free to choose if you want to choose you know, to rebel against God, you want to choose not to obey the Word of God, it's up to you. But you are not free to choose the consequences of your choice. Right. Every choice has a consequence. And if you don't choose God, don't cry to God and say, why my life is so bad? Because God has already written in the Word everything that you need to do in order to have a good life. Right. How many of us have issues, struggles, You've gone through trauma before. Yeah. I lift up both hands because I have that too. But is it a sin? No. Is it a sin to have issues in your life? No. Is, it an issue, is it a sin when someone did something wrong, you have a trauma in your life? No. no, these are not wrong. These are not sin. These are things that happen to all of us because we live in the broken down world. But, but, James 4 verse 17 tells us, Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him is sin. Which means that we may have issues. There's the bad wolf at the door. Those are our issues. But if we are too casual about it, that's what I see. A lot of us are too casual with our issues. We endure the issues. We don't shut the door. We just open the door and let the issues talk to us. We endure it. And they cannot come in because there's blood in our lives. There's the blood of Jesus. But we don't close the door. We let shame speak to us. We let rejection speak to us. We let fear speak to us. We let our trauma keep playing the same record over and over again in our lives. And henceforth, okay, let me, let me illustrate this. Say that you have rejection in your life. Ah, Look at, and when look, you know, don't trust the people in church. Are you sure they will love you? You know, yeah, remember what your mother did to you? 
Remember what your previous church pastor did to you? How they took all your money and they never take care of you. You cannot trust them. They will take, make use of you, manipulate you, and so you need to be very careful. And they keep speaking to you all these rejections and shame and, and all these mistrust with people, and you don't shut the door. It's okay every day when you listen to them, you just ignore them. Yeah, I know. We are very good at ignoring. <laughs> we ignore all these things speaking in our mind. But one day, you came to church and Pastor Derek did not say hi to you. Or maybe he preached a sermon that, you know, you felt convicted. You felt he was talking about you. And then you got offended. You know, Amanda didn't greet you at the starting point. The ushers did not smile at you. You want to sit here, they insist that you sit there. So that day you were upset. And then you came home. And the wolf said, look what happened today. Look, they really don't care about you. They don't love you, you know. You will never be loved. You will always have to be, you are always the outsider. Be careful. That's what they do in church. They want to abuse you because that's what they do. And that day, you were upset. You came home and then this, this issue, this wolf was talking to you. And then that day, your guard was down and you said, Yes, that's true. How dare they treat me like that? I served in church for so many years. How dare Pastor Derek didn't look at me and greet me? And, and how dare Amanda never smile at me? Yes, you're right. They really take, uh, make use of you. They maneuver. I really, really feel that they don't like me. They don't love me. And then because you agree, the wolf came in. And that's what you do. When you don't deal with your issue, day in and day out, you let the wolf speak to you. And then you agree with the wolf. And because you're so isolated in your shame, in your fear, in your rejection, you really don't have a lot of friends. You're isolated. Every day you come home and the wolf is talking to you. And he is very understanding some days. He agrees with you. And before long... You sit with him at your dinner table. You sit at this couch and watch TV with him. Because he's a good confidante. And then you want to sleep with him. And before you sleep, he talks to you. Yes, don't trust anyone. Yeah, you'll never be good enough. So just stay where you are at. And then guess what? Eventually, you start agreeing with him. And then his voice became your voice. And then now you're in agreement with him. You're one with him. And then there's the spirit of shame starts speaking through you. The spirit of rejection starts speaking to you. The spirit of fear starts speaking to you. And everywhere you go, you spread fear in the hearts of men and women. You spread division among the brothers and sisters in Christ. And you cause them to have mistrust with leadership and people in authority because you have problems with your father, because you have problems with your mother. And guess what? Relationship in the church fractures. Because we have agreed with the big bad wolf. What does Galatians 6 verse 8 tells us? It says, For he who sows to the flesh 
will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap eternal life. While the devil looks to and fro the earth to see whom he can devour, God is walking through and through the earth to see whose heart will be loyal before him. So what is a loyal heart? A loyal heart is one that says that anything that is un, that's not pleasing to God, I will not entertain. Anything that doesn't agree with the word of God, I will not listen to. Anything that will hurt my relationship with God, I'm not going to entertain. Can I hear amen? Help me preach today, okay? Yeah, I know you. Don't, don't keep looking at the big bad wolf. There's a reason why I'm holding on to it. <laughs> How to keep sin at the door. How to keep sin at the door. Recognize the issue. Recognize the issues. James 3 verse 13 says, If you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practices. So understand this. God comes into our life to bring order. Everyone say order. Order in the way we think. Order in the way we feel. Order in the way we respond to lives good and bad. When we have order, there's alignment. When there's alignment, the anointing flows. And when the anointing flows, the blessing of God will overtake us. Let's look at where this verse says in Deuteronomy about the blessing. Let's read this together. Ready? One, two, three. And all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you because you obey the voice of the Lord your God. So the blessing of God is supposed to overtake you. When you follow God, the blessing of God follows you. It is not the other way around. When you chase after the blessing, chase after this world, your life will be chaotic. And that's what demons want to do. He wants to create chaos in your life. Understand he has no right in your life. The only thing is when you agree with him, he comes in into your life and create chaos. So that you are not aligned with God, you cannot receive the blessing of God. But what is the thing, that most important thing the devil has come to destroy? He has come to destroy relationships. Your relationship with God is destroyed when he is in your house. Your relationship with others will be destroyed because you entertain his voice. Amen? In 1 Corinthians 1, there was quarreling in the church. Some people say, I follow Apollo. Somebody say, I follow Paul. I follow Peter. And then Paul wrote to them and rebuilt them. And he said, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree, and there is no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind, same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling amongst you, my brother. See, relationship fractured in the body, and there's no agreement. When there's no agreement, there's no power. Everyone say, no power. But when two or three gather together, and there's agreement, there will be 
power. Everyone say power. power. Just like in the upper room, when they came together in prayer, in agreement, the power of God came to consume the place. The fact of the matter is God came to set us free so that we can agree to disagree. So that we can embrace our diversity, yet stand in the agreement of Christ. You don't have to be like me. You don't have to dress like me. You don't have to talk like me. You don't even have to embrace the same political agenda as me. But we agree on the love of Jesus Christ. We believe in the Word of God. But you see how divided we are in the body right now. Because we have all departed from the faith. We have all departed from the Word. Galatians 5 verse 1 says, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. When you listen to Him, you have been enslaved. Because it's no longer you talking. Your fear tells you what to say. Your shame determines whether you come close to someone or not. Right? Yeah. Your anxiety causes you constantly to be wallowed in a pool of sorrow. So much so that you cannot live your best life yet for Jesus. Your past, your abandonment, the way your father and mother treat you, the way your past passes treat you, cause you to to behave in a certain way, speak a certain thing. You are so influenced by this thing that you carry in your life that your world becomes smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. You see, his strategy is to isolate you so that you be his best friend and and friend of nobody else. When he isolates you, you are easily devoured. Amen? You are easily devoured. So understand, what are the issues that you're harboring in your heart right now? What is the thing that you constantly have conversations with? Fear? Hmm. Shame? Right? What about unhealthy worth? What about rejection? What about abandonment? What about failure? Constantly speaking to you. Number two. Not only are we to recognize the issue, we need to repent of our involvement. 1 John 1 verse 8 to 9 says, If we have no sin, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we need to repent. If we have been listened to Him, Listening to this one rather than the Word of God. We need to come to God and say, God, I repent. I have listened to shame, but today I break my agreement with shame. Today I'm not ashamed because I'm the accepted of God. I'm the beloved of God. I stand on the truth of God and the truth shall set me free. And I'm going to let Him go in the name of Jesus. Amen. Repentance. We need to change our heart, our mind, and our direction to go a different direction. The scripture advises us to deal promptly with our sin. Ephesians 4 verses 26 to 27 says this, and let's read this together. Ready? One, two, three. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. You know what's giving place? 
foothold. Have you climbed a rock climbing before? There's a foothold where you can climb up. So when you, when you do not radically address a sin issue, you give a foothold for him to hang on to you. A foothold can also be a foot in the door. So you cannot shut this door because he put his foot there. So your door is constantly ajar and open. Understand this, that we need to deal with our sin. And in this verse, it talks about anger. Now, anger give way to demons, okay? So don't be so casual if you are constantly angry. And anger doesn't sometimes manifest. It's the anger of your heart. I always like to use this as illustration. Husband and wife, right? Especially at night when you're about to sleep. Do you see that there's, there's a high chance you quarrel? There's always like at the end of the day when you're about to go to bed, you start talking and then you end up quarreling. Right? And then the, the wife would say, the wife would say, no, this verse tells me we need to settle this so don't allow, she doesn't allow the, the husband to go to bed. So we need to talk about this. We need to talk about it now because the sun is setting and we should not, we need to address this before the sun sets. That's not what this verse means, right? That poor husband cannot sleep until he agrees to everything. That's how they get you. <laughs> no, this verse says, before, don't delay in addressing the issues of your heart. You need to come to God you need to release it to God. You need to allow the Holy Spirit to heal you. If the Holy Spirit doesn't minister to you, you cannot address the issue with your husband or anyone else. Can you say amen? amen. Unresolved little problems grow into big problems. You didn't arrive here. It was because you didn't deal with all these little issues. And then it evolves into something big. If we are attentive, we can deal with them before they escalate. So not only are we to recognize who is this speaking to you. Number two, we need to repent of our involvement. Come to God and repent. Number three, we need to release your agreement with sin. The scripture also advises us to be radical in cutting ties with sin and not sleep with our enemy. Matthew 5, verse 30 says, And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than your whole body to go to hell. Wow, quite radical, isn't it? Amputation is a very radical response to sin. Does our love for Christ cause us to hate our sin so much that we are ready to deal radically with it? That's what this verse is talking about. Or do you every day just wallow in that and keep conversation with fear day in and day out? With shame day in and day out? Everyone say, I cancel my agreement. With the powers of darkness. Say, I cancel my covenant. With demons. Number four. Not only are you to release your agreement with sin, you are to replace it with the right thoughts and confession. Last Sunday, we talked about writing your own life story. Are you a victim or a villain? Or are you a victor? To change your story, you must change your script. You must change your script. If you keep agreeing with shame, if you keep agreeing with rejection, and don't put them... Behind the door. 
and close the door. There is no way you're going to change your story. How do you close this door? You use the Word of God to counter it. You know, if fear has been talking to you day in and day out, you say, I've not been given a spirit of fear, but of love, of power, and a sound mind. I will not fear because God is with me. God will walk through the valley of the shadow of death. God is faithful, and God has all the solution to my problems. You keep saying it over and over again until the Word becomes live on the inside of you. We are not like the world. The world, can the world can meditate and say anything positive, but we are proclaiming the Word of God over your life. That's how you cancel agreement with demons. That's how you close the door. Amen? Amen. So we need to replace it with the right thoughts and the right confession. Romans 12, verse 12, God says, Do not conform to the pattern of the world. Romans 12, verse 12. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you are able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. God says we need to renew our mind about ourselves. If you keep repeating what shame is telling you, you cannot walk in God's victory. If you keep repeating what fear is telling you, you cannot walk in faith. So you have to decide who will you agree with today. Number five, not only are we to recognize the issue, number two, we are to repent from our involvement. Number three, release our agreement with them. Because when we agree, it's a covenant, it's a promise. We need to break it away. Number four, we need to then replace it with what God said about you. Number five, we need to then restore our covenant with God. Everyone say covenant. You see, we don't talk a lot about covenant nowadays, but we should. Because covenant is one of the most important themes in the Bible. In fact, right in the Garden of Genesis, or in the Garden of Eden, in Genesis, God created the man and the woman, and He instituted marriage. Do you know the institution of marriage is to teach us the beauty, the power of the covenant? God instituted the marriage to teach us about covenant. Everyone say covenant. And this covenant drives the whole narrative of the Bible until it reaches its climax in Jesus Christ. What is a covenant? A covenant is an agreement, a relationship between two partners, two persons, who will make binding promises to each other and work towards a common goal in life. They are often accompanied by oaths, signs, and ceremonies. We have couples that are going to get married. We have Curtis and Kayla. They are going to get married this year. We are so excited for you. I need to go shop for a dress. All right. The covenant defines the obligation and the commitment. Am I right? You willingly enter to it. Were you forced to marry each other? <laughs> you willingly entered into this marriage covenant. When you enter into the covenant, you, you, uh, you avail yourself with obligations and commitment. It is not done out of law and statutes, right? 
It is your willingness to come into that agreement, into this covenant. In a marriage, a husband and wife choose to enter a formal relationship with the common objective usually, right? Nowadays, some people don't. They just come together because they want to be happy, right? They want to have companionship. But the, the concept of uh, marriage came from God. God, in this marriage, practiced by the world outside, outside God, they do practice marriage, and marriage is the coming together of two persons for a common goal. The common goal usually is to build a family. Yeah, is to raise up children, is to build a complete life with their children. But what is the difference between the marriage of the world and the Christian marriage? When Derek gave me this ring, what does it mean? In a couple of months, we will lead your holy matrimony, and your pastor will ask you, will you take this woman as your wife? Will you take this man as your wife? And you are going to give each other a ring, and you're going to say, I do. I do what? I do what? Is it I do so that we can co-pay the bills of the house? I do so that you wash the dishes, I wash the laundry. Is it I do so that we can go on vacations together? I do so that we can just have children and procreate. What is the I do? That's why a Christian marriage is different because when you are married before the servant of the Lord and the presence of your father, when you say I do is that Jared, I will love you and show the way Jesus loves you. Whether you are in good mood or bad mood. Nowadays, with pain in your arm and more bad mood than good mood. <laughs> I will still love you. I will love you and show you Christ's love. I will show you, I do, show you Christ's forgiveness. I will show you Christ's servanthood before you. That is what it means in a Christian marriage. I do. It is not what the world thinks. And many people have lost sight of the Christian marriage covenant. And then they hold their marriage together at the, by the skin of their teeth. Well, God says do not divorce. So I'm just holding on. Don't divorce. Don't divorce. But we lead a separate life. The marriage is the bedrock of Christian character formation. If you're not willing, then think twice. The standard is all the way up here, but today is all the way down here. I do. I will show you Christ, how Christ loves you to the best of my ability. No matter how imperfect I am, I will try to get there. That is what it means when I say, I do. And when you come to this church, you say, I do. And when I receive you, I say, I do. Yes. You understand what I'm saying? Everything surrounding our faith is covenantal. Nothing is casual. Everything about our faith is covenantal. It's never casual. So understand, the marriage is not to make you happy. 
the Christian marriage is to make you holy. Is to make you holy. So let's talk about the covenant. And I'm going to show you how God builds the stage of our covenantal faith. Firstly, the Noahic covenant. In the story of Noah, by this time, humanity have already spiraled so low. People were really out of control. God says, oh my goodness, I regret making them. Wow. There were certain times God expressed his frustration. He said, I regret. So he sent a flood. But before he did that, he chose a man. Everyone say a man. A man with a pure heart. Say pure heart. So he, met, he picked Noah and caused Noah to create a, an ark so that through Noah, God can recreate humanity again. Then he sent a rainbow to remind Noah the covenant. Everyone say covenant. covenant. Say, as long as you see the rainbow, remember, I'm a covenant-making God, a covenant-keeping God. I will protect your family and I will make sure I never destroy the earth again in a flood. Then comes... The Abrahamic covenant, after God makes a covenant with Noah, evil continues to rule the world. So God again finds a man with a, with a pure heart and make a covenant with Abraham. And in Genesis 12, it says, Abraham, if you leave the pagan worship of your father, come follow me. We will enter this marriage covenant together. I will be your God and you will be my son. And I will protect you and provide you and I will bless you and through the world and through you, the nations of the world will be blessed. Then of course, the people of God continue to rebel against God and come to the Mosaic Covenant, where the people were in Egypt for 400 years as slaves, and they cried to Jehovah, and God began to send them and pick a man, again, with a pure heart. And He made a covenant with Moses to deliver the people out of Egypt into the Promised Land in Exodus 6. Everyone say Promised Land. And God's people entered Canaan, the promised land. But guess what? They didn't want God to be their king. They say, we want to be like the rest of the world. Give me a human being, a man for a king. Wow. So God gave them Saul. But Saul was not a man after God's own heart. He had idolatry in his life. In fact, he idolizes himself. So God had to raise up the armor-bearer, David. But David was a man after God's own heart. David loved God so much. One day he was sitting in his palace, and when he looked out of the window, he saw God in a tent. And he said, how can I live in such a nice palace? And God is living in a tent. I will arise and build God a great house. Do you know, God was so moved in his heart by David's heart. Do you know that you can move God's heart? You can move God's heart. Not just in your serving, in your ministry, in your giving. It is when you have a heart set on God. You will move his heart. David moved God's heart so much that God sent Samuel to him. Do you know what God said? In 1 Chronicles 17 verse 10, it says, I declare to you 
that the Lord will build a house for you. My brothers and sisters in Christ, look at this. Before David could build God's house, God says, because you set your heart on me, I will build you your house. So don't be afraid to give God your all and serve God's purpose in your lifetime. Because when you set your heart to build God's house, God will set his heart to build your house. And continue, let's look at it. It says, when your days are over, when David dies, and you go to be with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, one of your own sons, and I will establish his kingdom. Speaking of Solomon, he is the one who, built, who will build a house for me, and I will establish his throne forever. Verse 13, I will be his father, and he will be my son. I will never take my love away from him. If you are fathers and mothers here, or future fathers and mothers, understand the best thing that you can do is to set your heart on God. And that God will take care of your children and their children. Verse 14 says, I will set him over my house and my kingdom forever. His throne will be established forever. How can Solomon's throne be established forever? Because Solomon died. God was talking about Jesus Christ. He was talking about Jesus and the new covenant. And finally, number five, the new covenant. Through the lineage of David comes Jesus Christ. And this is what the new covenant said. And you know this verse very well. John 3 verse 16. Let's read it together. Ready? One, two, three. For God so loved the world <coughs> that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. This new covenant is to be everlasting. God will raise up a faithful king from the line of David who will restore all that has been broken. The Lord will pay the price for humanity's sin. He will die. And He did die. He died for your shame. He died to cancel your agreement with fear. He died so that you don't have to feel you're abandoned alone, that you are adopted into the kingdom. You have a father and you have many, many brothers and sisters. He died so he can silence the voice of shame and stop shame from speaking to you that you're not good enough and you will never ever be good enough. He died so that he can rip fear apart, so that you can see with him you can have a hope for the future. He died so that he can silence the voice of the enemy at the door. And when he died, the blood of Jesus covers us so that the Spirit of God can live on the inside of you. You have the Holy Spirit. Everyone say holy. That is why, as people of God, we can be holy because the Spirit of God is holy. And he will write the law of God in your heart. You don't have to have people to tell you, do not fornicate. Do not open the door for pornography. 
Because the Holy Spirit will tell you, you should never do that because you're going to hurt yourself. You don't need people to tell you, do you, you should not drink yourself to sleep every night because there's so much pain in your heart because the Holy Spirit said, I can heal your heart. I can heal that pain. You don't need people to tell you. You don't need anyone to say anything to you if you have the law of God written in your heart. But the Holy Spirit will be your guide and He will govern you and He will protect you. That is the covenant that God has given to us. The covenant to never leave us nor forsake us. No matter what you've done or still doing today, God will never leave you. He will never give up on you. That's what Hebrews 13 says. And not only that, Romans 8.32 says, He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him freely give us all things? Even if you were born with such poverty, or you didn't have a father and mother to provide for you, give to you, Know that you have a heavenly Father who has great inheritance in store for you. That God, along with Jesus, will restore the years that the locusts have eaten. The things that happened to you in your life shall not define you, but He will be the author and the finisher of your faith. And not only that, God promised us in Mark 16, verses 17 to 19. And these signs will follow those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents, and if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. The power of God is on the inside of you. In the year 2020, when the world plunged into COVID-19, the body of Christ fractured even further. A camp said we should take the vaccination. And then the other camp said, you have no faith when you take the vaccination. And then the other camp said, we're not going to take the vaccination. And this camp says, well, then you are not being responsible. Who is right? The fact of the matter is, no one is right. Because God says in all things, do it according to your faith. I took the vaccination because my faith is not in the vaccination. How can person come with the vaccination in such a short period of time? I took the vaccination because I need to travel. And then people say, but Susan, aren't you worried that this vaccination, there's some microchip in there and whatever, and nano or whatever. It's going to eat you up. It's going to destroy your body. I say, by faith, I say it shall die because this verse tells me even if I drink poison, I will by no means harm me. But I refuse to divide the church. I stand on the love of Christ. If you vaccinate, I love you. If you didn't vaccinate, I love you. Still the same. Amen. United in faith. Centered around our faith in God. 
Do you know how this, do you notice how the covenant progressively built on one another? God preserved the world through Noah, initiated redemption through Abraham, established the nation of Israel to David, to Moses, and gave us eternal shepherd king through David and fulfilled all the above covenant through Jesus Christ. With each covenant, God promises and plan to save the world became clearer and clearer until we finally see that redemption can only come through one and one alone. And that's Jesus Christ, our Lord. You are here not to just go through a religious duty. You are here every Sunday to remind yourself that you are in covenant with God. And in human form, till death do us part. But in the Christian faith, never will we part. Christ in us, we in Christ. We are one with the Lord Jesus Christ. Through the Spirit of God, we will always be one. And one day, we will reunite with our true love in heaven. With a pure heart, to have a pure heart, we must keep sin at the door. We must recognize our issue. We must repent of our involvement, release our agreement with sin, replace it with the right confession, and restore our covenant with God. Amen? And if I say, knock, knock. Come on. Say, knock, knock. If sin answers and says, sin, you need to answer, since when you have the right to knock at my door? Since when you have the right to speak to me? Since when you have the right to influence my thoughts and my heart? Since when? Who gave you the authority? One more time. Knock, knock. One more time. Knock, knock. There's someone at the door. Revelation 3.20 says, Jesus said, Therefore, I stand at the door and knock. And whoever opens the door and allow me to come in, I will eat with him and he with me. I will fellowship with him and make my home with him in my heart. How many of you want to open the door to Jesus Christ?